Welcome to Mott 10 Sports, and I am Dave Shoemaker. Mott 10 Sports, we will be covering all things, everything SEC, football, basketball, and baseball. I'm fired up to bring you the action, guys. I've been waiting a long time to do a podcast. I've been uh, in the college athletics world for nine years now, three as a student, and six in the professional world. Now, you're probably wondering, Dave Shoemate, why am I credentialed to say, talk anything SEC sports? Just a little background on me. I'm originally from Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Uh, if you don't know where that is, it is near Biloxi, right off I-10. Probably lost some money down there before there at the casinos, Beau Rivage, Hard Rock Casino. Uh, after that, I went to the University of Alabama, where uh, I worked as a student in the athletics department. After that, I worked at four different SEC schools in my nine years. I worked uh, at the University of Georgia, Auburn University, and Texas A&M, along with my time as a student at Alabama. But the SEC is in my roots, something I grew up passionate about, and this is something I've always wanted to do, and I am glad you are with me, and we're going to take you along for the ride here with Mach 10 Sports. All right, guys, welcome to one of my favorite segments we're going to be doing with you guys once a week. It is called What He Really Said. So we're going to go through some press conferences. That could be a coach's weekly press conference. That could be a coach's sideline press conference. And we're going to really break down what they said. So as we all know, one of my favorite events of the year was last week, SEC Media Days for football. And to me, that means football is right around the corner, guys, right around the corner and these coaches at SEC Media Days, they will, if you read between the lines, just from being in the industry, they will tell you what they think. You can really get a vibe on what, how these guys feel about their teams. So you're sitting there breaking them down, watching. They're doing all these different uh, interviews with all these other media outlets. But you can really get a sense of what, how they feel about their team, interviews with players and stuff. But I'm going to go through all 14 teams, specifically the head coaches, take one to three quotes, and really break it down on what I think the head coach is trying to tell us. So we're going to lead off here with uh, Nick Saban in Alabama. This is a quote from Coach Saban here about on his offensive line and his new offensive line coach, Eric Walford. Quote, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is the offensive line rebuild that we need to do. I'm excited about the coach that we have at that position. Uh, I think what Coach Saban here is trying to tell us is he is fired up about Eric Walford. Eric Walford was at uh, Kentucky with the big blue gang last year. Uh, a lot of great offensive line development there, and they were at South, he was at South Carolina previously as well. I think he likes the teaching ability, the relatability he has with his offensive linemen. Uh, and also, Saban feels good about a kid they did not have in the spring in Tyler Steen, a Vanderbilt transfer, that I think is going to help the tide out at one of the tackle positions. Um, nothing gets Doug Maroney, but I just feel like Coach Saban here really likes Eric Wolford as a teacher. If you follow SEC football, specifically Alabama, specifically Nick Saban, he doesn't really call coaches out individually. I mean, he only lets his coordinators talk twice a year before the season and at the bowl games. But so for him to call Eric Wolford along with Cameron Hutzler out as well, that's, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. So I think he really likes to question mark for some, even myself, the offensive line for that offense to uh, continue success that it had from last year. Another quote that kind of stuck out to me about with Coach Saban is on Will Anderson and Bryce Young. Quote, I don't like to compare players. But to have two players make such a significant contribution to our team, I can't remember having players like them on both sides of the ball. That's a big compliment now. I mean, first of all, I'll start off with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young. I mean, Alabama has had some dudes on offense before. And it's, you don't really ever hear him uh, talk like that. I mean, Will Anderson, he's had Dante Hightower on defense before. C.J. Mosley, Minka Fitzpatrick. A lot of vocal guys on that back end. And for him to single out those guys, we all saw it post-national uh, championship at the press conference. Stood up, made those two guys stay, and he really appreciated uh, what they did last year to bring that team together, win some games that Alabama was kind of an underdog in. No one thought they'd win, but I think Saban was really proud of that young team from last year. I mean, you can tell. Saban always knows his teams are talented. I mean, I think we all, everybody can tell you that the Tide is talented. I mean, you see it everywhere. We've seen it for the last 15 years. Um, but you can tell he likes the leadership of this team. I really do think he likes the leadership of this team. I don't think if the Tide doesn't win it all this year, and I'm one who does, I think this is kind of sets up for Alabama nicely this year. A lot of talent, best two players, best player on offense in the country, 
hands down, best player on defense back. I just think there's a lot to like with the Tide, and Saban knows it. And if they don't, if they don't win at all, it's not going to be co- be because of lack of leadership. Next quote I got from Saban here on the corner position. Quote: The biggest challenge is how do we replace the corners that we lost? Because corner is probably the one position that puts the greatest restriction on what you can do on defense. I do think that those three guys' developmental is going to be critical to our success of this team. Now, he's talking about a couple different guys. Um, Most likely Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, Kari Jackson, and then Eli Ricks. Uh, Two of those three guys are going to start, if not. But as we know in today's time, you're playing a ton of defensive backs. You're playing a lot of nickel, a lot of dime. Um, There's a lot of that out there. So all three of those guys are going to play. But two are going to be sitting on that island by themselves. But you can tell... It's a pride, prideful position to him. I mean, if you're the cornerbacks coach, secondary coach at Alabama, you're essentially the GA because the head man in the straw hat, Nick Saban, that guy is coaching the secondary. And I, I feel like he just takes a lot of pride in that position. He likes the talent, but I think he thought they'd be a little further ahead during the spring and after. So that's a question he's always going to have, but that's just something else that stuck out to me. And then finally, to wrap up Alabama and Coach Saban, this is the last quote, Saban on coaches recruiting against him. I wish you all would ask all the other coaches that come up here because they all tell the recruits that I'm going to retire, Saban said. Why don't you ask them how they know I'm going to retire? Oh, man. This is something I think it's hitting, rearing its head every year for Saban now. Um, Bobby Bowden had to deal with it. Joe Paterno, along with other issues, we know about how to deal with it. All the great ones, Frank Beamer, they get later on in their career, 70. I mean, the man's Nick Saban's 70, going to be 71 on Halloween this year. People are using that against him. People are going to be like, hey, Johnny, Coach Saban's not going to be there all three to five years you're going to be there. And I think that's becoming more of a reality. And I think now it's starting to stick with Saban that he truly knows people are using that against him. So it's an interesting take just to see how he is fully aware of how people are using that against him in recruiting. Uh, Transitioning over to another team from uh, SEC Media Day, some quotes I like here from uh, Auburn coach Brian Harson. Had one of the better quotes, and I respect the hell out of this guy for coming out of here and saying this immediately. He nipped it right in the bud. As we all know, all the offseason turmoil that Brian Harson, the Auburn program had to deal with. Opening statement quote here from Brian Harson. I know some of you are sitting here looking at me, didn't expect back, didn't expect me back for my second media day. It was uncomfortable, unfounded, and it presented an opportunity for people to attack me personally, my family, and our program. And it didn't work. Our focus is on moving forward and what came out of that inquiry. There was a silver lining in all this because of what I saw from our players and our coaches with how they stepped up as leaders. Man, he came out firing in his opening statement saying, hey, that wasn't right what you did. I'm still here. You didn't expect me to be here, but I am still here. And I think it actually may be a blessing in disguise. I'm not saying Auburn's going to win the West this year. They may not even win eight games. But I do think they will be a better overall team and get to that 6-7 win mark. Schedule's hard. Some say it's the hardest schedule in the country. But I will say, uh, he addressed not only the elephant. I think he was quoted saying, I'm going to address the gorilla in the room. I mean, he knew what he was doing. Probably I, more, I gained a lot of respect for Brian Harson coming out there and just delivering that punch right off the bat and being like, hey, I'm here. I'm going to address this. Y'all are going to ask me anyways, so I'm going to address it myself. Uh, as we all know, too, uh, Auburn medals. They got... These uh, boosters, board of trustees, that medal. I mean, if, you're, if you follow the SEC long enough, everybody remembers Jet Gate with Tommy Tupperville. What they did to him sneaking off in the middle of the night to go try to interview, get Bobby Petrino to come to the Plains after the 03 season. You know what? Tommy Tupperville went undefeated and won the Sugar Bowl the next year. And some argue probably should have been in the national championship game that year instead of Oklahoma. Uh, moving on to the next quote, hand, uh, handling offseason controversy. Another quote here from Coach Harson. Anytime we're going backwards, talking about the past, we're not moving forward. Talking about the future, Harson said. That's about it. It was quick, to the point with our players. We moved on. That's where our guys are right now. We're focused on bitter, bigger and better things. Like I said, I really think Harson likes this team. I don't think he thinks they're going to win 9-10 games. On paper, yeah, there's some games. Auburn could win 9-10 games. Let's don't, that may sound crazy. I may get some flack for that. On paper, they could. Will they? No. But there's only two games on that schedule that I am certain Auburn will not win. That's Alabama and Georgia. But other than that, they stay healthy. They're starting 22. 
maybe doubtful, but again, I think he likes the team and the resiliency that they have gained here in the offseason. Finally, last quote here from Coach Harson on his offensive line. Quote, but I'm excited about where the O-line is at. I think the guys are stronger, bigger. They put a lot of work in. It's been a group that since I got to Auburn has kind of been under the microscope. We got to be able to handle the guys up front, do a great job, especially with two great tailbacks behind them. I like where the O-line is at. Uh, I, I truly believe Harson thinks he's going to be able to run the ball this year, and that's what he wants to do. Going back to Boise, that's what he wants to do. Run the football, establish the run, throw off play action, utilize the tight ends, get them in. Big year for John Samuel Shanker. Also, too, they got a lot of experience on the offensive line with Nick Brahms, Keandre Jones, and Brandon Council. Uh, add in the fact they're going to be helped out a lot with two big-time running backs in Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. I like both those guys. They're going to help that offensive line out. I don't know if there's any NFL talent on that offensive line, but as a unit, there's some super singers there that have played a lot of football in the SEC. There's one thing you can't replace, and that is experience. Moving on to Arkansas. One of my favorite coaches in the league here, Sam Pittman. We're going to lead it off with one of his favorite defensive coordinators out there, one of mine as well. Uh, Pittman on Barry Odom, quote, Barry Odom is a key, key part of the University of Arkansas' success, along with Kendall Bryles. All our coaches, Pittman says, he's a very, very key part, especially because he helps me and he still helps me. I'm a work in progress. He helps me with the head coaching responsibilities. I bounce everything off him still till this day. And this is year three. Big deal to have continuity, especially in today's time. They got the head coach back, obviously. They got... Barry Odom there, the defensive coordinator, former head coach, and then Kendall Browse, the OC, and they got the quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, back. Uh, Pittman knows they lost a lot on defense, but I feel like he likes the foundation set with Barry Odom. Like I just said, continuity in today's time with the transfer portal. If you can just keep the consistency going in your program, that is key. That is key. Uh, he feels like internally the momentum has been there continuously. Now, will we be sitting here this time? On July 26th, with Barry Odom and Kendall Bryles still sitting in those two chairs next year? I would lean no. Chances are no. I would say no. Uh, but I think Sam Pittman has appreciated Barry Odom's head coaching knowledge, helping him uh, get established these first two, two and a half years of becoming a head coach. And I know he appreciates the continuity out of both his coordinators. Moving on to the next quote. This is Pittman on his wide receivers. We're going to have to do it by committee. Sam Pittman knows you're not going to replace Traylon Burks. They brought in Jaden Hazelwood, who's a top recruit out of high school, who transferred in from Oklahoma, was Oklahoma's leading receiver last year. He knows most likely Traylon Burks by himself is not going to be replaced. So it is going to have to be a by committee. Like I mentioned, Jaden Hazelwood, Matt Landers. And they got some guys back, Keetron Jackson, Warren Thompson, and Bryce uh, Stevens as well to assist in doing that. They need all those guys to step up to help K.J. Jefferson. A lot last year was K.J. Jefferson throwing up and Traylon Burks making plays. Arkansas's got a lot four starters back on the offensive line. Like I said, K.J. Jefferson, two stud running backs. The run, the run game's going to be there for Arkansas. But they need some help on the outside because teams are going to load the box and dare them to pass if, it's not, if, if K.J. Jefferson can't get it done. So... It's going to be big time for some receivers. Maybe a true freshman like Isaiah Satina, who's a local guy, could step up. Big, fast track guy that I think could have a big freshman year for position and need for his team. Last quote here for my guy, Coach Pittman. Sam Pittman on his defensive line. I feel a lot better. Isaiah Nichols on the inside, obviously losing Tareen Carter for whatever the period of time it is, hurt us. He was having a wonderful spring. But other than that, I feel good. Terry Hampton coming in. I feel good about Taylor Lewis. Some of those guys. We'll see what happens. But I think we'll be much better on the D-line than we were a year ago. Think about that last sentence for a minute. But I think we'll be better on the D-line than we were a year ago. I mean, they're replacing two pretty good players in John Ridgeway, Markel Utsi, and Trey Williams. But they just got a new defensive line coach, Coach Deke Adams, who, again, Pittman, i got to respect that he loves his coaches and praises them, which is awesome to me. Uh, this guy has previously coached Jadavian Clowney at South Carolina and Jamie Collins at Southern Miss. So I think with the, th- with the three down linemen, they're dropping a lot. They're dropping eight back against uh, with Barry Odom's defensive scheme here, dropping eight, rushing three. 
I think even with three, Sam Pittman and Barry Odom want more of a pass rush. And I feel like Deke Adams has developed some guys, like I mentioned, Jadavian Clowney and Jamie Collins in the past, uh, that he thinks he'll be able to help some of these guys uh, establish more of a pass rush with just their three rushers and maybe disguising some blitzes every now and then. But I feel like the quote that I got out of all of this was, but I think we'll be much better on the D-line than we were this year. A lot of people, and myself included, have question marks uh, with the Hogs at the defensive line position. And I think that's big that Pittman is saying he thinks they'll be better. It's a bold statement. Moving on to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin, who's always full of quotes. Um, here we are, Kiffin on this year's team. Quote, in fall camp, it won't just be about teaching X's and O's like it always is. We have a lot of culture to work, a lot of culture work to do that you don't really have to do as much because it's already established because your best players normally have been in your program for a year or two. Look, you call Lane Kiffin what you want. Kiffin's a more a bright guy, a very bright guy, intellectual guy. Sometimes doesn't get enough credit for that. Very witty guy. You can tell their intelligence. He knows he brought in a lot of transfers. I think the exact number is somewhere around 16. But there's talent. There's no doubt. You got Zach Evans, Michael Trigg. Uh, Jalen Flash Robinson, you got a lot of guys um, coming in that he's brought in from the transfer portal. But what happens if you're 500 midseason, you don't have that continuity, that culture pushing you through, which it's going to happen. There's going to be a rough spot in Ole Miss's season that they're going to have to come together. Who is carrying that team to the finish line? That's going to have to happen. But you bring a bunch of individual guys, individual contracts, or individual contractors, mercenaries into the picture when stuff gets rough who's going to be there to pick it up and I think Kiffin's very aware of that in my opinion Ole Miss could be a case study after this year I know Michigan State's done the whole transfer portal thing but I think Ole Miss even done it more in depth and I'm interested to see how this season plays off for him and I think Kiffin's very aware of his challenges in front of him as well after hearing that statement all right here's another quote I got from Lane Kiffin here about it quarterback competition as far as the quarterback Jackson coming in, he's talking about Jackson Dart. He's young, just like Luke, Luke Altmeyer. They just finished their freshman year. It was good to have those guys for the spring. It was very competitive. Look forward for those guys battling it out and making them both the best that we can because a lot of times you do need both. I truly think this is a true quarterback competition that's going to go in starting the next week all the way through maybe a game or two. Now, I think some Ole Miss fans may be a little questionable if it's Luke Meyer, Luke Altmeyer after seeing the Baylor performance in the Sugar Bowl. He was thrown into it when Matt Crow got hurt. I understand. But I think you'd be lying to yourself if you really thought he was the answer. And I think a lot of people thought Jackson Dart was immediately the answer. But in the spring, I've, I've heard he had a couple overthrows. It happened, some interceptions, getting his feet wet. But I don't know if he was exactly what they thought he was going to be going into. I remember Jackson Dart out of Utah at a high school. One of my guys, I was working recruiting these. One of my recruiting guys brought him and said, hey, man, this guy's a good player. Hey, down the line, the guy won the National Gatorade Player of the Year. The guy, can, guy has experience at USC. He's got all the ability. It's just, can it transition over? And I don't just think it's his job. It's not going to be as handed to him as a lot of people in the media think. And I think it's going to be an actual battle that goes through August. All right. Final quote here from Lane Kiffin that I got. Kiffin on the new recruiting age. Quote, we don't sit around and worry about that. We try to be creative. We kind of have a saying around here. Quote, we don't think outside the box. We just create a new box. Man, I, again, Kiffin sometimes doesn't get enough credit from a standpoint of adjusting, he said, what's the point of complaining about uh, NIL, the transfer portal rules? Now there's unlimited transferring out there now. Uh, I think this was this question was piggybacked a little bit off photo shoots, bringing cars onto the field, stuff that maybe has gotten a little out of control in some people's opinion. But I think Lane's sitting there like, hey, we're just reinventing the wheel. We're reinventing the wheel, coming up, thinking outside the box. And you see that within all the stuff he puts on social media with his dog, Juice, stuff like that. Just always trying to be creative. I mean, this was the guy at Tennessee said, any publicity is good publicity. I mean, it's after he's calling out Urban Meyer, et cetera, uh, Florida going into that 2009 season. So he eats it all up. But there's no denying that the guys, I think he's more calculated than people think with his fourth down decision, stuff like that. They are always trying to create a new box, and I appreciate that. Moving on, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach, always full of good quotes. I mean, let's start with what didn't he say? I mean, or honestly, what did he say? I mean, he didn't even have an opening statement, which, to be fair to Mike, sometimes those opening statements, you just get those questions 
asked again to you again when you go uh, and leave it up to the reporters to, hey, it's time for questions. They're going to ask you some questions you already hit on. Heard that numerous times last week. Guys like, hey, I think I already hit on that. I think Brian Harson, Coach Saban, a couple other guys mentioned that. But it's funny. Leach just went out there and said, hey, let's get this thing started. Maybe a couple Netflix uh, quotes, shows that he liked. But I appreciate him. Let's, hey, let's just get to the bread and butter. Ask me what you want. Next thing I noticed, quote from Leach. This is on Leach on common opponents adjusting to his offense. Quote, but football has always been a game of execution. There's not a lot of roadrunner Wiley Coyote who you ambush for the other guy, then you walk away laughing like muddily after the rock fell on the other guy or something like that. It's always been a game of execution. It doesn't matter what you do schematically. You have to execute well. I think some schemes are better than others. The most important thing is execution. He's exactly right on this, especially his offense. That's why I was a little impressive what, impressive on what he did in 2020 with the limited time with his team um, with, with the COVID restrictions. His is all about timing, finding the whole shots. It, it, it's all about repetition for Mike Leach. He's not changing what he's going to do. I think it's why some teams have had some success, specifically Arkansas back in 2020, kind of laid the blueprint, rush three, drop eight. But – execution, timing, they they got more production back on offense than the majority of the SEC teams out there. And, and I honestly don't think, and I think they got a quarterback that we'll get into next year with another quote, Will Rogers, that's not being talked about enough. Last quote I know is from Mike Leach. Oh, my God, Will Rogers. Quote, well, I think, first of all, Will stepped in and had a great leadership quality. Wasn't afraid to talk to the locker room as a freshman, which I think is one of the more impressive, courageous things that he did. He allowed him to excel early. It allowed him to focus in on playing because he didn't have some of that stage fright that initial freshmen do. I think it allowed him to progress quicker. Look, Will Rogers, like I just mentioned, not a guy that's getting talked about. I mean, talked about out there at quarterback right now. Obviously, Bryce Young for the right reasons. Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, um, K.J. Jefferson, a lot of potentially Anthony Richardson sometimes over Will Rogers. But Will Rogers broke two single-season touchdown Records of Dak Prescott and passing yards in a single season. I mean, the guy is a good football player, and they have a lot of guys back if they can replace their two tackles they lost. But with that said, they get the ball out a lot. They get the ball out quicker. So in today's time, I don't know how big of a factor that is that it would have been 10, 15 years ago. But again, back to the point. Leach likes Will Rogers. Your guy Dave likes Will Rogers. I'm telling you, as we get more into the SEC West preview, Mississippi State could be a shocker. Only issue is schedule's a little tough. All right, moving on to LSU, new coach Brian Kelly. One of the bigger hires in the offseason than I can remember, man. Brian Kelly, no coach has ever left Notre Dame before. I mean, he's the all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame history. I think the last time somebody left Notre Dame as the head coach was Coach Lee in 1944 to go fight the Nazis in Europe. I mean, that's how long it's been. I mean, Brian Kelly, that says something. He believes that he wants to take it to the next level. I think he accomplished, I think he hit his ceiling at Notre Dame, but Here's some quotes that I got from him that I found interesting. On his position of concern, quote, if I had to point to one, I'd point it to the offensive line. We have to bring that group together. I believe the success of our football team will start and end with the offensive line. I want to control the line of scrimmage. Listen, this guy knows what offensive line looks like. He's coached a lot of really good offensive lines in Notre Dame. That was one of their bread and butters. And word on the street is LSU has a real shot to start one Maybe two freshmen on the offensive line. As we all know in this league, that is not a recipe for success. But the guy's been quoted. He knows he has playmakers on the outside. And we'll get to it in a minute. I honestly think he feels pretty good about one of the three quarterbacks starting that starting for him that will win, either one of them will win the job that he feels like can get the job done. But if you don't have an offensive line to be able to run the ball or protect the quarterback in this conference, you're going to be up you-know-what creek without a paddle. Another quote I got from Brian Kelly here that was very interesting. Comparing quarterback depth to his 2010 Notre Dame, team, Notre Dame team he was asked about. Quote, I feel much better about the depth in the quarterback situation. Dane was really the only quarterback that had any experience. I'm talking about Dane Christ. We're young and inexperienced at that position. I think the depth at quarterback position is much different. Jaden and certainly Miles bring us obviously starting experience. Garrett, obviously for me, is an exciting quarterback. Walker's a true freshman, but there's great depth there. So just start going back, just so you know who he's talking about. He's talking about Jaden Daniels, who was a transfer from Arizona State, started some games at Arizona State, had some success. Uh, Miles Brennan, who feels like he has been there since freaking Billy Cannon 
was at LSU. He's coming back for his sixth year. Uh, started a few games. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer, who I really like, has some Brett Favre gunslinger mentality. And obviously Walker Howard. Walker Howard is a true freshman they signed, which I don't really know if he's going to be in the race. Maybe the guy for the future. But you can tell Kelly likes all three realistic guys that could potentially roll out their Sunday night of Labor Day weekend at the Superdome when they're kicking it off against Florida State. Uh, again, he has weapons. The guy, I think he's going to roll with the guy who gives him the best chance to get the ball to their playmakers, but also isn't sitting back there taking sacks with the issues they may have at offensive line. Moving on to his final quote that I thought was very interesting in context on why he is great at LSU. Quote, well, I think fit is about the ability to run a program at the highest level. I've done it for 32 years. I've had success at Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Central Michigan, wherever I've been. So running a program and then player development, I think those are some of the most important things. Look, Kelly's resume speaks for itself. He is honestly the most credentialed guy to ever take this job. That's a bold statement by me. I know that because a guy named Nick Saban took over the job in 2000. But he is for sure the most qualified guy that has taken over that program since 2004. I mean, look, the last three, all three last head coaches, Nick Saban, Les Miles, and Ed Orgeron, all won national championships at this place. I think this is the first guy since 2004 that is actually going to have some stability, support from the AD, and just an overall big-picture plan from a CEO standpoint. Let his coaches coach. And I think the recruiting in the state of Louisiana, which is a little different from a culture standpoint, if he can surround himself with some of those coaches that have connections in those areas, like the Frank Wilsons of the world down in New Orleans, I think he's going to be able to get enough talent, keep it in there, recruit Texas a little bit, sprinkle that in. And the guy is the most qualified, best structure CEO type of guy they've had again since 2004. And I think the ceiling's high for LSU with Brian Kelly. Moving on to Texas A&M and Coach Jimbo Fisher. Quote, Fisher on the quarterback competition that everybody's interested in. Quote, I mean, very pleased. Finally, as I say at the end of the spring, you finally saw Mac starting to grasp what we were trying to do. You saw Haynes' health come in. Really, in the last month, I've seen his feet, the way he's throwing the ball. He's really jumped out at me. He's talking about Haynes King. Connor, so natural and effortless. As he grasps what's going on, it's going to be a fun battle. Last year, we needed three. He's talking about they needed three quarterbacks due to all their injuries. But he's talking about Max Johnson, who we all know, Brad Johnson's son, started last year at LSU. He was previously at LSU, transferred in, left-handed quarterback. Haynes King, the other guy he's talking about, coming off an injury. I think Coach really likes him. Coach Fisher liked him back when I was at A&M. We were recruiting him. Dad is a high school coach, takes coaching. Playing for Jimbo Fisher, that quarterback position, you better have thick skin. I'm telling you, you better have thick skin. And I think Haynes King has that. And you hate to see him get hurt in that Colorado game last year because you just felt like that's when A&M season just kind of – it was an interesting season last year, and we'll get into That's another conversation for another day. But you'd really like to see how he goes. And honestly, Connor uh, Wigman, a kid they signed who's got all the ability in the world. Don't know if he'll win the job this year. But, again, Texas A&M got a quarterback competition, but I do feel like Jimbo does like where it's at. And sometimes by his quotes, I feel like he – Wants it to be Haynes King. He likes that kid a lot. Another quote I found on Coach Fisher. Fisher, I'm playing young guys on the offensive line last year. Being able to have that now, I think, has really turned into a strength. I think it's going to be a strength of our football team, one of them. I'm very excited about our offensive line this year. Coach Adazio has been tremendous, but he, Layden, Layden Robinson, Bryce, Bryce Foster, and Trey Zoom now playing at left tackle along with some of these other guys and the battles that are going to be had size, athleticism. I think Steve has done a great job. What we struggled with early last year, I think it's going to be a really big strength of our team last year. You watch it. A&M struggled some up front, but they lost four starters off the 2020 team but only lost one game and won the Orange Bowl. But with Bryce Foster, Ruben Fathery, and Trey Zune, I think there's some experience there that these guys are young guys that have played a lot of football in the Southeastern Conference. And you know what? With a quarterback battle, that's big time to have three guys, three young guys that have played a lot of football and know the days, the day in, day out of the SEC life. Final quote here from Coach Fisher. Fisher on expectations. The first time from a depth standpoint, not from a great player standpoint, but from a depth standpoint, 
that I feel like we're getting to that point right now at A&M at a level which I'm very excited about with some young guys pushing older guys, older guys getting better. It's going to be a heck of a battle. That got, that's got me the most excited. Hey, I think Jimbo knows. He knows he is the second best roster on paper in the SEC West. I think most people in that division would accept that, would admit that. Maybe LSU. But he knows now he is getting to you. Going into year five, he's getting that depth exactly where he wants it at. It's a little young, some unproven, but on paper, it's going to be iron sharpens iron, baby. He, he knows the depths there. And you know what? Maybe a little off topic. I like A&M this year. I'll be honest right now. I'll get into my West predictions on my next episode. But I have them finishing second in the West. But you know what? I really like them next year. 2023 is going to be the Aggies year. All right, moving on. Let's go to the SEC East. New Florida coach Billy Napier. This is from his opening statement. More importantly, quote, quote, more importantly, our team, right, our players, our staff, our entire organization from top to bottom. One of the great things about the game of football is it requires hundreds of people to have success. Big role, small role. Each person has an opportunity to be the difference, to make an impact. We're thankful for all the people, each one of those people who contribute to our team. Listen, man, Billy Napier's salt of the earth guy, man. This guy gets it. People person, truly cares about the student athlete, truly cares about his staff. He, he was at Alabama. The guy has worked, let's just put it this way, the guy has worked under Nick Saban at Alabama, Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, and his dad's a Hall of Fame coach in the state of South Carolina. The guy has the blueprint. He's building the biggest support staff in the country. He knows what it takes. He's been at Alabama. Today's time, the landscape's changing. You need a big staff. You need an NFL scouting department. You need more player development guys. You need more quality control guys. You need more off-the-field people in general with the unlimited staff rules coming in. Billy gets that, and he's ahead of the game, and that's why I like him. Next quote, in regards to what, what makes you think you can win at Florida when others haven't, he was asked. This is what he said, quote, they, talking about the uh, administration at Florida, were committed to our vision and our plan, right? I think we're 20% bigger as an organization. We, moder- we modernized the approach. We have an incredible product here at Florida. I mean, we have history. We have tradition. We have an elite degree. We have one of the best experiences for college athletes in the country. It's been done before, and they're passionate about doing it again, right? I think they understand maybe why there's a struggle. I think they're working hard to address those things. Hey, Billy had such a good plan. Let this sink in. He has such a good plan that he presented to the Florida administration and Scott Strickland that, hey, they're showing more commitment to football than they have in a long time, probably since Urban Meyer was there. But I think that's why he's going to get the job done at Florida when others in the past couldn't. I think Billy's got a plan. He's going to do it the right way. He's ahead of the curve, and the administration is bought in. I've always heard the old adage, coaches don't win championships, administrations do. On Anthony Richardson, as far as Anthony Richardson is concerned, I've been impressed. I think he's remained humble. He's got a little bit of an edge. I think he wants to prove himself. He's still a relatively inexperienced player, played 221 plays or something like that, and completed 33 passes. Look. I think Anthony Richardson's got the highest ceiling and lowest floor in the conference at the quarterback position. I I really do. Give or take maybe the kid at Vanderbilt, the right kid at Vanderbilt. But Anthony Richardson, shown ability, had the hamstring pull against South Florida last year that really limited him the rest of the year. Some people thought Dan Mullen didn't really give him a chance. Another story for another day. But I think with their run-based offense, they're going to surround himself. If he can have some guys on the outside step up and him develop as a passer – Watch out, man. Anthony Richardson has the ability to be a top three quarterback in this league this year. All right, Georgia. Moving on to Kirby Smart. It's a part of his opening statement. One of the quotes I got from him. We have, quote, we have plenty of talent. What we lack right now is experience. I mean, everybody in the country. Georgia is loaded. It's them in Alabama, probably Ohio State right up there that has as much talent as anybody. Right now it's experience. I'm here to tell you. Georgia is not not going to win the national championship or the SEC this year because of they're not motivated. Obviously, they're talented, but it's the narrative is going to be if they don't win it. Oh man, they weren't motivated. I mean, look what Alabama did in 2010 after their first national championship after the 2009 team. 2010, they lost three games. Well, I'm here to tell you, schedules are a little different. If you really wanted to break down Alabama's schedule from 2010, uh, they played South Carolina, who won the East that year. They played LSU, who won 10 games that year. They played Auburn, who won it all that year. 
Georgia's not going to face that in the regular in the twelve regular season games this year. I mean, they're going to have some challenges, but again, like Kirby said, it's going to be experience. They need to get their feet wet, their paws wet. No pun intended, but they need to get experience. It's not talent. They have, they have the talent there. The way Kirby's going to have to motivate these guys, and he kind of said it, you have to challenge them. Go be better than Nakobe Dean. Go be better than Channing Tindall. Go be better than Devontae Wyatt. Go be better than Jordan Davis. You have to challenge that next group of guys like, hey, those are some of the greats in Georgia Bulldog history. Why can't you be better than him? I think that's why that's how a lot of these kids are motivated now. Challenge them. Hey, you think you can go win the uh, the Nagurski Award? You think you can go win the Buckus Award? Kobe did. I think that's the way you gotta do it. I think that's the way he's gotta approach it. I think he knows that. Quote, Kirby on Stetson Bennett. Quote, Stetson's one of the least respected good players there is in the country. People will keep doubting him, and that's fine with me. Hey, I agree with him. He's even doubted by me. He wouldn't even be in my top five quarterbacks right now just off NFL projection. Stetson Bennett, though, he, that is a kid on why you love college football. Think of all the quarterbacks that have gone into Georgia here the last few years. Jacob Eason, JT Daniels, Jake Fromm. Justin Fields. You know who gets the job done and brings a championship back to the classic city in Athens? Stetson Bennett. And that's why college football is awesome. He's a walk-on. The mailman decides, hey, that guy's going to be one of the leaders of the team and get the job done. And that could only happen in college football. But back to Stetson here. He is an under, he is an overlooked guy, and even by me. But I think Kirby kind of likes it because it keeps a little chip on his shoulder. All right, moving on a little, not X's and O's or about his team. This is Kirby on talking about keeping the Florida-Georgia game in Jacksonville. Quote, it's an opportunity for us to bring these kids who fly in from all over the country, Smart said. What game do they come see Georgia play? Question mark. They'd like to see Georgia play Florida, but they can't. So just a little some context around this. They're playing a neutral side game. Georgia and Florida don't allow recruits to come to uh, Jacksonville to see that game, formerly known as the world's largest cocktail party. They changed that name. Recruits aren't allowed to be there. So Kirby wants it to be home and home, move to go back and forth between Athens and Gainesville. I am totally against that, Kirby. Coach Smart, I am sorry. I am totally against that. We're losing tradition a lot around here in college football. But you know what's one thing is? What's cool about that? Man, those players roll in off that bus crossing the river, the St. John's River. They're rolling in. They're seeing the tailgating on every side. You walk in, half the stadium is red and black. Half the stadium is orange and blue. Like Mark Ritt used to say, that's the next best thing to the SEC Championship and National Championship. That is an event that kids, I think you should be able to use that as a recruiting advantage. Not, hey, I'd like to host kids in Athens or uh, Gainesville. I think you got to keep that in Jacksonville. That is an awesome game, and I would be severely disappointed if that is moved. Moving on to the Kentucky Wildcat head man, Mark Stoops. Uh, got to love Coach Stoops. He's the second longest tenured coach in the league after Coach Saban. But here's Stoops on his expectations. Quote, I prefer to have people talking about you at the end of the year. That's a quick quote, but hey, he's right. This is one of the first times. I mean, they were projected at the SEC media day to finish second in the East. Uh, they've been on, they've been coming on here in the last five or six years, but going to that 15 season, everybody was doubting the Cats. Now they're predicted to finish second in the East at a basketball school, Big Blue Nation. Man, but thing I do like about Coach Stoops is he is aware that, hey, it's, it's not where you start, guys. It's where you finish. And I think he's trying to drive that point home to his team this year. Like, hey, guys, we're getting a bunch of pub because we got a really good quarterback with us. But we did lose a couple. We lost our Best receiver in program history. Uh, and we got replaced our offensive line coach and some guys on the offensive line and the defensive line. So they got some holes. But, man, you can't say enough about what Mark Stoops has done with that program down in Lexington. Another quote here from Coach Stoops. On being able to sustain success, quote, I think all of us are going to be accused of being hard-headed at times. You have to stay to your core beliefs is the only advice I can give anybody. Those two don't need my advice. They're doing very well, just any coach. It's just be authentic. To me, it's just being authentic, staying true to who I am, my core beliefs, what I know is right, but then also adjusting and adapting when you have to. Man, Stoops really is a pure example of this. Had a rough, like I mentioned a minute ago, rough first two or three years. 
going to the 15 season, people were on his butt. I think he was close to getting fired. Guy has reeled off numerous bowl wins, 10 win seasons. Like I said, it's tremendous what the guy's done. And the guy, you know what? He likes to run the ball, control the clock, and play defense. But you know what? The guy went out and hired Liam Cohen last year, who left to go back to the NFL. And he opened up the offense and aired it out because he knew he had Will Levis. He knew he did. He didn't for a while there. They had Lynn Bowden, their best player playing quarterback. Just get the ball. It's like a, it was like high school a little bit. Just get the ball in your best player's hands. Let him make plays. We're not going to be overly explosive, but he adjusted and he knew the game was changing. You have to have big explosive plays. It's going to touch. It's tough to have ten to twelve play drives now and be consistent on offense. And I give Coach Stoops credit for adjusting. Last quote here from Coach Stoops: Biggest question mark of his team. He was asked, "Quote." I think it was brought up earlier. We have to play some. We have to have some playmakers step up at the wide receiver position because we have a beast of a quarterback. We have to get some playmakers to step up and compete. We're going to have to depend on a few younger guys there. The older guys need to step up. Again, this is very similar to me, like what Coach Pittman was saying about Arkansas. They're not going to replace Wondell Robinson, the transfer from uh, they brought in from Nebraska, one of their all-time leading receivers. Now a Kentucky kid, they let leave, but he came back. Uh, you're not going to replace him. The Cats are going to have to do it by committee, too. They did bring a Virginia Tech transfer, Tavian Robinson, who I think can replace Wondell Robinson to an extent, but just not completely. You're going to have some young playmakers step up for Will Levis if they really want to get the most out of this offense. Moving on, continuing the SEC East, we got next coach, uh, the University of Missouri's coach, Eli Drinkowitz. Uh, interesting here with their, how they've been sustaining recruiting. In context, this is about Drinkham recruiting the state of Missouri, their home state. Quote, as far as getting the chance to sign when I took this job, one of the things that attracts me to this job was the ability to recruit elite SEC players in our own state. In order to do that, you got to keep your best players at home. We were able to do that with Luther Burden. Now it's up, now it's up for us to deliver, deliver with his ability to contribute in a positive way. Hey, look. Drink knows that he's going to recruit a great class and state. He has done a really good job in that state. They got Luther Burden, who was wanted by everybody. But this is a make-or-break year for him. Year three, got, a hot, got off to a hot start in 2020. 2021, a little bit of a step back. They need to get to a bowl game this year. They need to get to a bowl game. They have question marks at quarterback. But for him to continue to have that stranglehold, I don't even know if I'd call it a stranglehold. For them to continue to have success in that state, specifically St. Louis, where a lot of people, especially the Big Ten, Ohio State's had success there, they're going to have to show some improvement this year. Here's another quote from Drink. Uh, Drink on keeping some kind of traditions and opponents. Quote, I'm for playing consistent games. I'm for playing consistent opponents. Building a consistent level of expectation that these are the teams that you need to beat. These are the teams that you need to be comparing yourself against to every year. Hey, look, he's for rivalry games. We all know college football is a business, but I do think we need to keep some of these traditions alive and keep at least three common opponents. Then Missouri, Arkansas, that, that could turn into a good rivalry. And I think you need to have some uh, continuity in these games so fans can get fired up like, hey, man, I'm going to go to Columbia this year. Are you going to Columbia for the game? Or, hey, man, I'm going to Fayetteville or Little Rock for the game this year. Just in reference to Missouri, Arkansas rivalry. I think we need to keep that when we're thinking about scheduling. I'm all for nine to ten conference games. But I do think you need to keep two to three common opponents just to keep the rivalry set because that is one of the big things with college football and keeps the fans interest. And the final quote here uh, from Coach Rinkowitz here on building team culture. Quote, I think it's a new challenge for college football. You do mat drills in February and March, and those guys transfer. New guys come in and haven't experienced it. You're going to have to go back to the drawing board to have shared that adversity, shared that experience to develop the leadership that you need to win games. Hey, look, we talked about this when we were talking about Lane Kiffin knowing his team this year. Culture is going to be a big thing. It's year, teams are building rosters now year to year. But the thing that you're gonna ha- that is going to be the struggle is when you get in the midseason or even the middle of fall camp, stuff gets hard. These guys haven't gone – a lot of these guys haven't gone through summer winter drills for two to three years down the line. And, hey, this is how we did – or they can tell the freshman class, hey, this is how we did it. This is how it's done here at Missouri, Alabama, Tennessee. This is the standard. You got one-year mercenaries now, transfer portal guys coming in. It's different, and we got and these, some of these coaches are gonna have to get a pulse on it real fast because this year I think it's gonna be a big tell year, big tell all year on how the team culture side of this sport's gonna go with 
people building rosters year to year now. All right, moving on to South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer. Man, one of the most energetic, genuine guys on the, that was at SEC Media Days and in the conference in general. Here's Beamer on being talked about more this year. I think the most, quote, I think the most noise we made at SEC Media Days last year was when we reenacted the Coach Spurrier's RB picture on the, on the way back to the airport. But there was very little talk about our overall football team. That's very different this year. People are talking about us nationally, which is what we want. We have high expectations at South Carolina. People are talking about our players as individuals more than nationally than they were last year. There's more buzz about this program right now. Hey, more props to Shane Beamer, man. That guy went and won two clutch games at the end of the year and then won his bowl game with the carry on joiner, who's not a big passing threat, but is a great athlete, great captain for their team last year. Man, it was unbelievable to see them get that Florida, Auburn, North Carolina win to get to bowl eligible, win seven games last year. The guy just does it being himself. You can make fun of his social media stuff, but he relates to the kids well, and he is very genuine. And if you're reading recruiting interviews, you hear that a lot about Shane Beamer. Just a genuine guy that I think is going to have a real shot to do some special things relative to South Carolina. Another quote here from Coach Beamer in reference to Spencer Rattler. Quote, I don't worry about Spencer. There may be some outside pressure with him. He's been through the fire before. I saw firsthand how he handled it when he was at Oklahoma and started out 0-2. Never flinched. Continue to get better. There will be some ups and downs, certainly some downs this season, but I have no worry about him from that standpoint and be able to handle it. I think sometimes people forget. Shane Beamer was there with Spencer Rattler. I think we all forget. Spencer Rattler was the hands-down Heisman frontrunner going into the season last year. Oklahoma was going to the playoffs, baby. Spencer had a great 2020 season. And let's say this. He is the best quarterback South Carolina has ever had. Let me repeat that. He may be the best quarterback South Carolina has ever had. I mean, the talent, raw talent is there. Don't be shocked at the end of the year if old Spencer Rattler is the second best quarterback in the conference after Bryce Young. He has that much ability, and I think South Carolina has a real chance to finish second in the East. You heard me again. That's, that's a couple hot takes within a 20-second span. But because of Spencer Rattler and him bringing some guys like Austin Stogner with him, hey, Gamecocks will be sitting there in the second in the SEC East when it's all said and done. Moving on, Tennessee, Coach Josh Heupel. Here it is on some context. So he's asked about how the Florida game changed their season last year. Do you remember Tennessee battled with Florida in the Swamp? That's when Florida a week or two was removed from almost beating Alabama in the Swamp. But here's his response. Quote, as a program, a young program, you have an opportunity to learn from it, grow and push forward and really climb. Or it's something that can be devastating. It's one of those moments inside our program and program that changed the trajectory of the program. I mean, seriously, if you watch that game, you had Florida go here. You had Tennessee go here. Now, Tennessee lost some games on the way, but you could just tell it just kind of felt a little different. Tennessee like, was truly believing in what they were doing. And it's crazy in first-year staffs. There's always like a game that you kind of feel like, hey, that was it. Yeah, that's good. Feel a little different there. All right, here is Josh Heupel on Tennessee's recruiting strategy. Quote, I think that's one of the things that's unique about Knoxville is being able to get east, west, north, and south, touch so many great recruiting areas. At the same time, we have a brand and logo that's going to allow us with the style of play and culture that we have to reach coast-to-coast as well. Certainly inside of that footprint, that's going to be important for us. Look, man, I, I, Josh Heupel, Tennessee, NIL, all the changes for Tennessee, the transport right now, are in Tennessee's favor right now. They got the NIL going. They got, the Power T's got a brand now. It really does. When Tennessee was really rolling with Fulmer in the 90s, they had a bunch of guys from coast to coast. They had guys from the Clawson brothers were from California, I believe. Kelly Washington from California. They Jay Graham from North Carolina. They went and got into North Carolina some. Tennessee is set up better than ever. Than they, like, You have to feel overall, Tennessee feels the best they have in about 15 years about their football program. And they should be able to use that in recruiting right now. And they're recruiting really well. Nico's a solid quarterback they got in the 2023 class. Has major upside. They're recruiting really well. And not only can they recruit in the state now, they need to expand. And I think they really will. And I think the NIL, the brand, the Power T brand, and just the way the landscape of college football is, it really benefits the balls. Josh Heupel on defensive improvements. Quote, for us defensively, there's a lot of things that we did extremely well. You look at our tackles for a loss. 
getting people into third and long. We got to be better in third and long situations, which you're playing where you want to defensively when you're in that position. We got to get better in the red zone too. Forcing field goals and creating negative plays there, not giving up seven points. Look, he's trying to say we weren't as bad on defense as the numbers may say. I think Tennessee was averaging dang near close about three plays per minute last year offense. So think about it. As fast as their offense goes, that means their defense is going to be on the field a lot more. Naturally, you're not going to be as good on defense. They were good in tackle, lost some negative plays. They got to get better on third and long, and obviously he's aware of that. Tennessee's got to be just a little bit more opportunistic. They need to force more negative plays, not give up as many explosive plays, take the football away, and hold people to field goals. If they do that, Tennessee's going to be very good. I'll say that. I don't know if they will do all that offensively, but if they can improve significantly in that category with their offense, whoo, look out in Knoxville. Moving on, last coach here in the SEC East. I got one quote from him that I thought was one of the bigger quotes from SEC Media Days. Let's go to Vanderbilt coach going into his second year. Clark Lee, who's an alum of the university, has a lot of pride in being a Vanderbilt Commodore. Uh, from his opening statement, quote, we know in time Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. You heard me right. Let me, re- let me state that again from Vanderbilt head coach Clark Lee. We know in time Vanderbilt football will be the best program in the country. What do you want the guy to say? You want him to say, hey, uh, we hope we win six games a year. No, I wouldn't want that guy to be my coach if that's what I'm saying. I mean, does he really think they're going to win a national championship? Maybe. I mean, any competitor is going to go out there and think he's going to win every game. I don't think he rolls to the office in Nashville every day being like, man, I hope we just get to six wins. No, he wants to win the national championship. Now, did, he, did he go a little far with it? Sure. But I do think the guy is building something. They still have a very long way to go. But he is shooting for the stars. Guy knows it's a lot of work. But be honest, what do you expect the guy to say? That got a lot of media coverage to an extent. I shouldn't say a lot. It got some about Vanderbilt winning a national championship. But the guy's confident in his program. He likes the direction they're going. They're just going to take it game by game. And he's going to be confident they can step out and win every game going into Vanderbilt. And hey, more props to him. Transition gears here. We're going to move into one. It's a good exercise here. I feel like we're getting close to college football. But There's a lot of issues out there in college football, and I want to hit on it and then get into a little bit of an exercise that I haven't seen anybody cover yet. Listen, college football right now, we're a little bit of a crossroads. And look, this podcast, this YouTube channel, Mach 10 Sports, is not going to be about, hey, we're going to solve all the issues with NCAA. I'm not here to do that. I am here to cover SEC football, basketball, and baseball. But I think this is a good topic to cover and and initially uh, talk about what is happening in college football right now, and some suggestions on how we can fix this. But to the point, NCAA issues right now. It feels like the NCAA has no teeth right now. Like There's really no governing body. College football is kind of an entity of itself. I mean, we're going to be covering basketball and baseball, but college football and somewhat college basketball is a little bit different than all the other sports, the Olympic sports that all these other athletic departments fund. I think it needs its own committee or... Czar, as some people like to term it. Somebody, it's over it. I mean, we're talking this week, uh, we want a player's bargaining agreement. We want players, for everybody on the team getting forty grand apiece, stuff like that I've seen thrown out there. Sean Clifford from uh, Penn State talking about starting a player's union, stuff like that. I mean, there's just no true governing body right now. Like, nobody really knows anything, what's going on. Players have unprecedented freedom before. And look, the student-athletes, look, they invest a lot, their bodies and stuff like that. But they're, they're pretty well taken care of between getting a full scholarship and getting a lot of free meals, stuff like that. I mean, what are we going to do here in college football? I mean, we, gotta, we have a lot of people throwing stuff out there but with no real solutions. But the common theme is we do need someone. You hear Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban talking about, we need someone overseeing all this. Uh, we need someone overseeing the playoff expansion. That's talked about. I've seen 16 teams today reading the internet today. What do we really need to get that at? I don't think one guy, just a czar, can make that decision. That's not fair to one person. So that's why I kind of came up with my top nine and odd number just so we could, if they're voting, it's going to be five to four. But I incorporated some media members, coaches, former players, and some commissioners. So I'm going to go over... 
my college football committee, not playoff committee, we have that, not playoff committee, this would be a committee that would see everything college football, make the rules, but we're hitting all different angles here. Again, media, media covers it in and out. They have more of a pulse on this sport than a lot of people like to believe. We got college coaches. Obviously, they know what they're doing. Former college coaches, they know the ins and outs of what's going on in here. Student athletes, they were the ones on the field. And then we got the commissioners, the ones that are having these big-time conversations. So I think if you can combine, get a good mixture of that, those four departments, categories, bring them in, get the best of the best out of those categories, I really think that would be great for college football moving forward. And, and I'm here to give you my nine guys I think that would be great for the college football committee if it were to start tomorrow. Leading off here, man, one of my favorite media people out there, he is the face of college football to me, especially from an ESPN standpoint, Kirk Herbstreet, man. Also, former student athlete. He checks that box. Kirk Herbstreet has been, I believe, with ESPN since 1996, former player at Ohio State, genuinely cares about the sport, has a knowledge of the sport. You can just listen to him when he's calling the Rose Bowl, national championships, the Saturday night games. The guy knows what he's talking about, has a true pulse on college football, and I think would be have great ideas, and it would be, and would be there for the best interest of college football. Go to my next media member. Maybe a little bit under the radar here, but Bruce Feldman has covered the sport for two decades, CBS, ESPN, and now The Athletic. I mean, this guy sat in staff meetings all the time. Now, I know some of these staffs are on guard when he's in there, but the guy gets a sense of how recruiting goes. I mean, he did the meat market book with Ed Orgeron. He did a book, I believe it was called Swing Your Sword of Mike Leach, and he did a book on Miami scandal and stuff. Won numerous awards. Covers college football at a very professional level. Can bring that media sense, big picture, bring it all in, bring some ideas together that people may not think about at that table, which, man, Bruce Feldman, in my opinion, does a fabulous job covering the sport and I think would be a tremendous asset to the college football committee. Next, transition a little bit to former coaches. Man, one of the big culture builders out there. Chris Peterson would have a West Coast feel out there. Turn programs Boise State and Washington into perennial contenders, man. I love that guy. From guys I know that have worked in that program, the guy could run for the president of the United States and do a phenomenal job. Intelligent guy. Mentioned turn two programs around. Big developmental guy. If just had he made sure he didn't care how talented you were from talk, talented you were from talking to people in that building, you had to be a culture fit, man. It was a big deal to get an offer from Washington. I mean, you go look back; those guys may be offered anywhere from sixty to eighty people a year. You look at some schools; they're offering three hundred. Washington did their homework, and that started with Chris Peterson blueprint. The guy knows he the bet, genuine best interest. Again, I keep saying that for the sport and for the student athletes. I think he would do a phenomenal job sitting on the committee. Next, Jim Trestle. Everybody remembers Jim Trestle. Won the national championship. Hey, some may say it was pass interference. Some may say it wasn't against Miami. But, hey, won a national championship in 2002. Former Youngstown State president. The guy's been a president at the university. Very well liked in the college football community. Very well respected. There's not going to be anybody else out there that has been a university president and has won a national championship in the sport and is, is well respected as Jim Trestle. I think he would fit the mold to a T. All, I think he'd be an awesome addition to the college football committee. Next, finally, David Cutcliffe. David Cutcliffe, as we all remember, former head coach at Ole Miss and recently just left Duke. He is now the special assistant to Commissioner Greg Sankey with the SEC. His job now is to go in the spring, fall, sit with these coaches in the Southeastern Conference and kind of get a vibe of how everything's going, kind of just have a pulse on how everything's going in the Southeastern Conference. Another guy like Jim Trestle, very well respected within the college football world I think would do a phenomenal job big picture again what's best for the sport and that is the key I keep hammering that home but again when I was making this list again coming up with my nine-man college football committee not playoff committee committee to run the entire sport David Cutcliffe checks every box to me moving on a little bit to the student athlete side of things man how, how I, I, don't, I don't know how you could argue this guy Peyton Manning Former Super Bowl winner with the Indianapolis Colts, Denver Broncos, former Tennessee player, Tennessee Vol. True passion for the sport. Part of the first true family of college football with his father, Archie Manning. 
His brother Eli played at Ole Miss, brother Cooper, and then his nephew, Arch Manning, who's kind of taken the recruiting world by storm here in the last month with his commitment to the University of Texas. Paint Manning, intelligent guy, set in the student-athlete shoes, would command respect. Again, what do I keep saying? The best interest of college football, guy checks those boxes too. Now, a little bit of my next guy, a little bit off topic. You may think it's crazy, but I wanted to bring a guy that kind of had a little CEO mentality. Maybe hasn't specifically worked in college football, but has run two major events. Billy Payne, who's in charge of the Masters, the biggest golf tournament in the world. Also, single-handedly brought the Olympics to Atlanta, Georgia in 1996 as the CEO of Atlanta Committee of Olympic Sports. He checks the box of a former student athlete. Guy was a wide receiver and defensive end at Georgia. True businessman that I think could maybe step back at a 35,000-foot view from these guys that have just kind of been in football in an admin role and be like, hey, this is how I did things in Augusta. This is how I did things in Atlanta when we were bringing the Olympics here in 96. I think he could tremendously help. You may think I'm crazy off that. I'd like to hear comments back on that. But I do think Billy Payne would be a great addition to the college football committee. Next, we get a little commissioner, a little commissioner feel for it. Kevin Warren. This guy gets a lot of flack back from 2020 with the whole COVID issue, Big Ten kind of like opting out. But at the end of the day, you know what? The commissioner of the Big Ten, I'm going to respect the role. I don't have anything against Kevin Warren, really, I don't. I think he's a little bit behind Greg Sankey, maybe not a little, but a lot, behind Greg Sankey when it comes to being ahead of the curve in the conference. But look, it is what it is, man. The Big Ten is moving to be a top-two conference, and they need to have someone sitting on that committee for the entire sport. So Commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, I think needs to be a part of it. Again, rough start with COVID. He's worked the NFL with the Vikings before. Uh he, helped, he did just add UCLA and USC to the conference. Again, they're, they have a stranglehold as the second-best conference moving forward, and I think they have to have a seat at the table. Uh, and then finally, I think the guy that's the most important, done a ton for this sport, Greg Sankey, current commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, most powerful man in college sports right now, has to be on the committee. And I think he's that ninth man who would be the tiebreaker if we had, if they were having a vote four for four and then he breaks it to make it a 5-4 vote. Uh, the guy essentially started the Power Five, got Texas and OU to the SEC out of nowhere last year at SEC Media Days. No one saw that coming. Incredible feat. Uh, longevity, intelligence, seconds done. You talk to people that have been around this guy, has a compliance law background. The guy is the smartest guy in the room, speaks up when he has to, doesn't always have to hear himself. The guy's a very high intelligent, high IQ guy that I think would do an incredible job being on the committee and if not, being over the entire committee. Um, With that being said, those are my nine guys on the college football committee. If we were to start a committee tomorrow, I would have on the college football committee overseeing the entire sport, not just the playoffs. Again, let me repeat them just so you have them. When you go talk to your buddies next week, doing whatever, grilling a steak in your backyard, doing your fantasy draft, bringing, hey, Mach 10 Sports told me these are the guys that are going to be on the college football committee. Kirk Herbstreit, Bruce Feldman, Chris Peterson, Jim Tressel, David Cutcliffe, Peyton Manning, Billy Payne, Kevin Warren, and Greg Sankey. I think those nine guys would do a tremendous job leading us into this new era chapter of college football and tying it all together and doing again you heard me say it a lot during this segment what's best for the sport we're about to wrap up here the first episode here with me again i'm your host dave shoemate and i appreciate you joining us here on the first episode of mock 10 sports we hope you are a continued listener and you please hit that red button subscribe on the youtube channel here when it's posted but hey moving into our last segment we will do this at the end of every episode of every week the best thing i've seen this week and man, this is this is pretty good right here. So, guy writes for Al.com, John Talty, is his book's about to come out of Nick Saban, his leadership style, I believe, is what it's called about Nick, Nick Saban and his leadership principles. Well, there's a story that didn't make the book, but he tweeted about it yesterday. Here it is, with Jeremy Pruitt back in the news. It reminds me of one of my favorite Nick Saban antidote that didn't make the book. This is John Talty tweeting. One night out recruiting, Pruitt and Saban are looking to get some food. 
Pruitt suggests Zaxby's. Saban looks at Pruitt and says, what the F is Zaxby's? So now Pruitt, who famously doesn't know what asparagus was on national TV during his show Two-A-Days, when he was the defense coordinator at Hoover High School, everybody remembers him being like, what is asparagus? That's JP. Has to explain to Nick Saban what a Zaxby's is. Quote from Jeremy Pruitt here. And I think it's going to upset a lot of people here in the Southeast. He decides on, it's like a lot classier Chick-fil-A. What is Jeremy talking about here? It's been a bad week for Pruitt. The accusations come out about him it, with Tennessee, with paying players, etc. I'm not going to get into that. He's got bigger issues. He said Zaxby's was a classier version than Chick-fil-A. I don't think anyone would say that. That would be like saying the 1980s Detroit Pistons were a classier version than the Boston Celtics. No one thinks that. For him to say Zaxby's is a classier version than Chick-fil-A, who is the epitome of class and perfection, organization, structure, that's an asinine statement. And that is the best thing I have seen this week. All right, everybody, and that is going to be a wrap for this first episode of Mock 10 Sports. I appreciate you joining us, man. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Again, I am Dave Shumate, and I'm here going to bring you everything SEC football, basketball, baseball throughout this athletic calendar year. Again, you will be able to subscribe and follow us on the YouTube channel, Mock 10 Sports, and I will be posting constant content, thoughts, uh, we're going to get major guests on here, but you can follow me on my social media, on my Twitter account. When we start launching other social media avenues, I will let you know. But again, I appreciate you joining us on this first episode here at Mach 10 Sports.